A tragic story today out of Anaheim, Donald Duck is dead. The much-beloved Disney character was found in a Motel 6 this morning. Law enforcement officials say he committed suicide by shooting himself four times in the back of the head from across the room. The duck had recently been implicated in a political scandal after a Project Veritas video was released showing Hillary Clinton operatives conspiring to disrupt Donald Trump events by sending Donald Duck to stand outside amidst the crowd as a symbol that Trump was ducking the release of his tax returns. In a somber press conference, longtime duck friend Mickey Mouse told reporters, quote, Donald spoke to me about the scandal and I should have known he was depressed, but I couldn't understand what he was saying because of that stupid duck voice of his. <laughs> he did tell me he was deeply ashamed of being involved in Clinton's political dirty tricks and had only agreed to do it to pay off a gambling debt. At least that's what I think he said. Mostly it just sounded like quack, 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 unquote. FBI Director James Comey, who led the investigation into Donald's death, said he saw no evidence of criminality, remarking, quote, we have made a very thorough investigation using the same team who investigated Hillary Clinton's email scandal. We've concluded that Mr. Duck committed suicide after receiving a visit in his motel room from construction contractor Vinnie the Trigger Sabatoni. Mr. Sabatoni, however, had an alibi. He proved he was doing contracting work for Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe by showing us a $10,000 check, which McAuliffe had personally signed, unquote. According to a recent story in the Wall Street Journal, Governor McAuliffe, a longtime Clinton ally, had recently engineered a massive contribution to the state's Senate campaign of the wife of FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe. This did not affect the investigation, however, as Mr. McCabe says he has fully investigated himself and found himself innocent of any wrongdoing. Mr. Duck's tearful widow, Daisy, asked the press to respect her privacy, but sources close to the case said that the bereaved Mrs. Duck was convinced that her husband had become depressed and committed suicide, or if she wasn't convinced she would be, or if she wouldn't be, she might become depressed herself, then who could tell what would happen to her, not to mention Huey, Dewey, and Louie, whose place of residence is known to the Clinton campaign, which had nothing to do with this incident. Police say a suicide note was left at the scene in which Donald Duck bequeathed his sailor suit to the United States Navy to be worn by any tiny sailor who didn't mind going naked from the waist down. Mr. Duck further instructed that his body should be placed on a wood fire, then served with a light on. A light orange. Oh, a light orange glaze on a bed of Spanish rice. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is the Andrew Clavin Show. <laughs> I feel hunky dunky. Life is tickety boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky dunky doo. Ship shaped, ipsy topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray. Oh, man, at least somebody's having a good time. <laughs> oh, boy, I knew. I, you know, I, I got stuck in traffic. I was going to tweet before I came in and take bets on whether I could get through through the monologue, but I didn't have time. All right. Well, well, at least look. At least somebody's having a good time, right? At least we're we're happy here on the little island of on the little island of Clavin, the little island of lost toys, and it's mailbag day. Woohoo! <laughs> hey, it's mail. We got a very, very intense mailbag. 
which you folks on Facebook and YouTube won't be able to watch because it comes after the break. But if you subscribe, not only could you watch it, not only could you watch it for a lousy eight bucks a month, but but you could actually send questions in and then your life wouldn't be the mess it is. Okay, because we'll answer your questions and then everything will be better. So let's start off with some good news while we're in a good mood. According to a poll conducted by Chapman University, 42% of Americans are afraid of clowns, whereas only 32% are afraid of climate change. So this speaks well of the American people because there are evil clowns and climate change is nonsense. All right, you know, I left off yesterday. I made, I made this dopey mistake. Not that the show is devolving into chaos or anything like that. Or anything like that. But I did make a mistake by not sending in this, this piece of video I wanted to show you. And this is a, an organization that is called modernstatesman.org. And they're, you know, they're uh, pumping, plugging several Republican candidates. And they went to my pals at Madison McQueen to come up with a sort of thematic video. I'm going to play the whole video. It's under two minutes long. But this just shows you how the right should be communicating. Madison McQueen is at the cutting edge of communication, on uh, campaign communication. They did some of Ted Cruz's spots that were some of the most watched spots during the primaries. I just think this is really good stuff. So take a look. This is what I wanted to show you yesterday. Do you remember that idea we called America? It wasn't poll tested by pundits, and it's not theory drawn up by tenured professors. It was founded by statesmen, visionaries. It was a revolution. Don't let the Whigs fool you. These guys were tough guys. They didn't create safe spaces. They challenged a superpower. They didn't cut off debate. They welcomed free speech, free association, and they changed the course of history. That's what they did when they created the United States of America. Because of their sacrifice, you can pursue life, liberty, and your own happiness. So stop tweeting about pumpkin spice lattes. Think about the big ideas that make us want, like equality under the law. And don't believe the hype or the New York Times. Our best days are ahead if we live up to our principles and our potential. We know it's not the government that makes us great. Only we the people have the power to do that. Sure, we've got problems. Who doesn't? That's why it's time to put on your big boy pants and get into the arena. It's time to be a better citizen. You have the power to put an end to this rotten economy. And that anxiety you're feeling, it doesn't have to be that way. So suck it up. You're an American. Grab a steak, a beer, and some fireworks. Let's celebrate. Then let's take that energy. Let's take those principles. Let's recognize leaders who will make the changes we deserve. Sure, there's a little insanity out there, but there's also common sense, and it's more important than ever. And when you're in the arena, we'll have one more voice for statesmanship, for principles, and for common sense, no matter what happens. Good stuff. Good stuff. My, fa my favorite moment is George Washington riding a shark and shooting a cannon. You know, I mean, like that's, you know, who, co who comes up with that? That's really good. Good stuff. And, you know, the, the reason I bring it up and the reason I keep bringing it up is because this is such a negative uh, cycle and negative ads are working. They, they are used because they work. But on our side, on our side, on the side of the right, the, the left knows how to speak the language of vision. They know how to speak the language of vision. Even Hillary Clinton, who is the worst at it, still does it, whereas Donald Trump really doesn't outside of his outside of his hat, you know, make America great again. That that's that's the start. That is a good start. But this is stuff that really uh, I think is going to appeal to this new generation of people who are basically libertarians who want to be left alone and who are under the gun in all these universities who are cutting off free speech and everything. It's also, I have to say, kind of a, 
a signal that the Trump campaign is in serious trouble. I mean, you know, people are still saying, and this is true, that the polls could all be wrong, but the, the campaigns are acting as if the polls are right. The campaigns are acting as if Trump is in trouble. For instance, uh, you know, Hillary is now <clears throat> moving into states that you would have thought would have been out, outside of her, you know, uh, powers to, to grab, including like Texas, which is insane. And, you know, there's a chance that the uh, Democrats could take back the Senate. Big disaster. And Trump is like, you know, he's no longer holding fundraisers anymore. The Trump campaign says they were planning to stop fundraisers, but other people are saying he's punishing the GOP establishment because he thinks now he's lost. Well, to hell with them and all this. So it's, it really is it really is a, uh, a moment of division on the, on the right that is not happening on the left because they have kept their machine together and have put propped up this horrible, desiccated, empty, corrupt candidate. And somehow they've all managed to get behind her in ways that we haven't managed to get behind our corrupt, <laughs> desiccated, empty candidate. All right, so let's take a look, because this is kind of symbolic of this big dust-up between Megyn Kelly and Newt Gingrich. So they're talking about, you know, Gingrich is clearly just at the edge, end of his rope. You know, he's just had it. And Megyn is saying, look, this is, this is partly at least Trump's fault, because no matter how corrupt Hillary is, Trump has gotten in his own way. This is the first clip. Let's assume she is corrupt, right? She was just as corrupt three weeks ago and three months ago. And she, she would have been corrupt and collapsing physically on September 11th of this year. And her poll numbers tanked. But then you know what happened. He had a rough first debate. He took the bait on Alicia Machado. He stayed in that trap for a week. The Access Hollywood hmm. tape came out, which was not produced by Hillary Clinton. That was Trump. On that camera, was, talking Megan, about grabbing women. Heard, look, I just heard you go through this with with with, with uh, Governor Pence. I get yeah. it. I know where you're coming from. But let me point out something to you. Sure. The three major networks spent 23 minutes attacking Donald Trump that night and 57 seconds on Hillary Clinton's secret speeches. You don't think this is a scale of bias worthy of Pravda and Izvestia? I mean, you want to know why Donald Trump's had a rough if time? If Trump is At a least, sexual predator, that he's is... He's not a sexual predator. Okay, you that's can't your say opinion. That. I'm you not taking not a position on that it. statement. I, I'm, now, I am I'm not sick and tired of people it. like you using language that's inflammatory that's not true. Excuse me, Mr. Donald, Speaker. Donald, Donald you Trump have no was idea not whether it's true or not. What we know is that neither, there are at least... Neither do you. That's right, and I'm not taking a position on, on it, no, unlike yes, you. Yes, you are. When you use the words, you took a position. So what I, think I said is... very unfair of you to do that, Megan. I think that is exactly the bias people are upset by. Now, the interesting thing about this is, uh, obviously, the Trump supporters don't like Megyn Kelly. She's kind of, they feel like he, she's been after Trump for the uh, the way he treats women. But the interesting thing about this is both of them have a point, you know, and and what, what Megyn Kelly starts out by saying that Trump has sh largely shot himself in the foot, you know, as I keep saying, he put his foot in his mouth and then shot himself in the foot, which is really dangerous. You know, don't try that at home. It, that's all true. That is all true. I mean, this is the way he brought this. He didn't let his he didn't let his own campaign do any oppo research. You know, you do oppo research on yourself to find out what's going to come out. And he wouldn't let them do it because he knows this stuff is around. He knows what's around. He knows who he is. Okay. On the other hand, she she goes into totally phony journalism mode when he hits her on that sexual predator thing because he is absolutely right. You can't say, "Did you still beat your wife?" And you go, "What do you mean? I'm just asking. I don't know." I don't know, but, you know, I, she says herself, I don't know if it's true. If you don't know it's true, that's not the way to ask that question. You do not use the term sexual predator if you don't know that it's true. I mean, that it's absurd. And the media has been doing this 
forever, forever. You know, we're just asking, we're just bringing it up, we're just letting these, we're just airing, you know, we're airing these women's grievances. If you haven't checked out that story, you know, you know, anybody can come up and say that a guy did something to her. You know, anybody can say that. You have to get, you have to really know that this is good stuff before you start airing it. Now that standard is gone from journalism, but Megan shouldn't defend it. Megan Kelly shouldn't defend it. So let's listen to the next the next round they go on. And this is here Megan Kelly does something that really drives me nuts. Let's I think that your defensiveness on this may speak volume, sir. No. What I said let me just is suggest if, to you. no 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 let me make my point and then I'll give you the floor. What right. I said is if Trump is a sexual predator, then it's a big story. And what we saw on that tape was Trump himself saying that he likes to grab women by the genitals and kiss them against their will. That's what we saw. Then we saw 10 women come forward after he denied actually doing it at a debate to say that was untrue. He did it to me. He did it to me. We saw reporters. We saw people who had worked with him, people from Apprentice and so on and so forth. He denies it all, which is his right. We don't know what the truth is. My so, point to you so, is, as a media, as a media story, we don't get to say the ten women are lying. Oh. We have to cover that story, sir. Oh, sure. Okay. So, so it's worth twenty-three minutes of the three networks to cover that story, and Hillary Clinton in a secret speech in Brazil to a bank that pays her two hundred twenty-five thousand, saying her dream is an open border where six hundred million people could come to America. That's not worth covering. That is worth. When covering. you want to go back and through the did. tapes of your show recently, you are fascinated with sex and you don't care about public policy. Me? Well, that's really? what I get out of watching <laughs> you tonight. You know, two things that Kelly does here that are really wrong. I mean, first of all. Accusing somebody of being defensive after you've attacked them is absurd. You know, I always love that. They throw a punch at you, and you know, you block the punch. Don't be defensive. It's like, of course he's defensive. She's attacking him. You know, but the other thing is this thing she does at the end, and she does it all the time. It's cute Megan. This cute Megan stuff. I mean, Megan Kelly has got a very, very big line in, oh, women are picked on, and women, you said this, and you shouldn't say this about women, and women have it so hard in the news industry, which is kind of absurd. And then she pulls this, like, cute routine, and she does it at the debates when she's making points. You know, that it, it's just not on. It is just not on. I find it incredibly off-putting. And I think she's a smart, decent a commentator. She's not a reporter, but I think she's a smart, decent commentator. But but she really has no right to do this. And what he is exploding about, what he is exploding about is this concentration on sex rather than on substance. And he has a point. Now, look, we know that's what the, what the media are. And the problem is, the problem with it is, is that it really only goes one way. And that's the thing he makes in this last clip. That's the point he makes in this last clip. You know what? Mr. Speaker, I'm not fascinated by sex, but I am fascinated by the protection of women and understanding okay. what we're getting in the Oval Office. And I think the okay. American voters would like and to know. And therefore, we're going to send Bill Clinton back to the East Wing because, after all, you are worried about sexual predators. Yeah, listen, it's not about me. It's about the women and men of America. And the poll numbers show us that the women of America, in particular, are very concerned about these allegations and, in large part, believe that they are you- a real issue. And you want to comment, you want to comment on whether the Clinton, Do you want to comment on whether the Clinton ticket has a relationship to a sexual predator? We on the Kelly file have covered that story as well, sir. I will no, tell I you the polls. I want to hear you use the words. I want to hear you words. Bill Clinton sexual predator. I dare you. Say Bill Clinton sexual predator. Mr. Speaker, disbarred we've covered, by the, Island, by the Arkansas me, bar. Disbarred by excuse the Arkansas me. bar. Excuse $850, me. $850,000 penalty. Excuse me, sir. 
We on the Kelly File have covered the Clinton matter as well. We've hosted Kathleen Willey. We've, we've covered the examples of him being accused as well, but he's not on the ticket. And the polls also show that There'll the American public is There'll less in interested in the deeds of Hillary Clinton's husband than they are in the deeds of the man who asks us to make him president, Donald Trump. Amazing stuff. That's a, it's an amazing exchange because she, you know, look, Megyn Kelly works for a, a news entity, a, a news entity that basically supports Donald Trump. She is not in the Trump tank, but it basically supports Donald Trump. And it has a, an excellent news show on the Brett Baer uh, hour, and it has an excellent commentary show on the Chris Wallace show on Sunday. But a lot of the rest of it is noise, and a story about sex is going to take the uh, take the take precedence over stories of substance. But this thing just should just highlights, this interchange just highlights what a weird, weird election. Oh, i got to stop and say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over, because this really does get weird. What's so bizarre about this election, this Obamacare thing, Obamacare is blowing up, and it's blowing up in October. It's blowing up two weeks before this election. I mean, it's just crumbling. All this stuff that the Republicans said would happen is happening. Every single thing, everything that Mitt Romney said would happen has happened. Everything that Obama said would happen turned out to be a lie. There's there's this new email showing that uh, oh, basically that Obama lied about uh, about not knowing about Hillary's server. And, you know, it's, I mean, the corruption, the, le the, the bland corruption, the sort of easygoing corruption. Remember, do we have that clip of Obama saying he never heard of the, yeah, here it is. Mr. President, when did you first learn that Hillary Clinton used an email system outside the U.S. government for uh, official business while she was Secretary of State? Uh, at the same time, uh, everybody else learned it through news reports. So, so when this happened, they're panicked emails going through the Hillary campaign. It looks like POTUS said he found out HRC was using her personal email when he saw it in the news, which they forward this email, and a top Clinton aide and former chief of staff to Clinton, the Secretary of State, Cheryl Mills, sends it on to John Podesta with the note, we need to clean this up. He has emails from her that do not say state.gov. <laughs> okay, so they're in this panic. Plus, he used a pseudonym. He, Obama wrote to her with a pseudonym. You know, who knows what it was? Like Carlos Danger, President Carlos Danger. It wasn't just any Carlos Danger. This was President Carlos Danger. You know, he lied. I mean, we know this is the thing about Obama. Obama lies like a child. He lies the minute anything. You say, you know, did you eat those cookies, you know, and the child has like crumbs and jelly all of them. No, I didn't eat the cookies. You know, he's been doing this since that first campaign. When he was in, in that first campaign, I wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal that they wouldn't run that basically said something is wrong with the guy. <laughs> this guy lies. I mean, you know, you say, well, Bill Ayers, oh, just a guy in the neighborhood. You say, Jeremiah Wright, never heard him say those things. A thousand Sundays he's in that church. This is at the heart. You know, damn America is at the heart of the guy's theology. He's there for a thousand Sundays. Eh, I never, I, I, you know, I didn't hear anything. You know, did you hear anything? I didn't hear anything. And, and then... And then David Brooks in the New York Times says of that speech, it was a symphony. It was a, the speech was a. I mean, I mean, this is the way he's been treated. This administration, and and by the way, we're now you know people are dying in Mosul because we're fighting to take back a city we took already. Everything this guy touches has turned to crap, and and he's still immensely popular. He's very popular for a guy who's been in office for eight years. 
Hillary is cruising. It looks like if the polls are right, and like I said, the polls can be wrong, but if the polls are right, Hillary is cruising to victory. It may take the Senate with her. This corrupt, empty uh, Justice Department that has let her off the hook is just a reflection of her corruption and her emptiness. But Trump is, you know, you want to see how weird this election is? Here's Michael Moore talking about Donald Trump. Okay, listen to this. Donald Trump came to the Detroit Economic Club and stood there in front of the Ford Motor executives and said, if you close these factories as you're planning to do in Detroit and build them in Mexico, I'm going to put a 35% tariff on those cars when you send them back and nobody's going to buy them. It was an amazing thing to see. No politician, Republican or Democrat, had ever said anything like that to these executives. And it was music to the ears of people in Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, the Brexit states. <laughs> you live here in Ohio, you know what I'm talking about. Whether Trump means it or not is kind of irrelevant because he's saying the things to people who are hurting. And it's why every beaten down, nameless, forgotten working stiff who used to be part of what was called the middle class, loves Trump. He is the human Molotov cocktail that they've been waiting for. So, and this goes on, by the way, for five minutes. He just goes on and on. He gets kind of obscene, but he's just saying, you know, this is the bomb that they want to throw. So you've got Michael Moore, and he's ta talking like he supports him. We know he doesn't, but we ta he's talking basically like he wants him to win. Michael Moore, a communist who hates America, and Donald Trump, who says he wants to make America great again, never mind Trump, but his supporters, who are ultra-nationalist, are on the same side. That's how weird this is. And what it means is, what it means is we have got a division between the people and the elite that is going to have to find, we're either going to have to find a way to heal it, because these things end with guillotines if you don't. You know, this is a very, very, this is a time, a really... Uh, odd, weird time when the people are so angry at the government that they're basically willing to blow it up with a guy like Donald Trump, but not quite. It seems like, according to the polls, not quite. So what's going to happen? The most corrupt, most elite, most establishment character we have in American politics today is going to go in and take control of this government that everybody wants change to change and going to keep it the same. It's, an, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. It's like, and, and the fact that Obama remains popular through it all is just part of the unreality of it. You know, like he's popular because he's a celebrity. He is a, he's a good celebrity. He's very charming when he goes on those late night talk shows. He's a good celebrity. He's just a lousy president. That's all. You know, he's a terrible, terrible president. All right. The mailbag. Yay! Yay! There she is. Yeah! <laughs> ah, God, we miss her so much. All right, I'm going to read you. I have I got two questions today that I'm going to and I'm going to read both of them because um, the answers are related and it's kind of, they're kind of intense questions. From Frank, dear Super Supreme Leader KLVN. And by the way, I do appreciate my proper title being used. It's like remember that senator, that woman who didn't like being Barbara Boxer was it? Who didn't like being yeah. called ma'am. She said, I'm a senator and, you know, I've earned my title. Well, I am the supreme leader and I earned my title. Uh, as a fan of your book and your Christian faith, and let me stop here. Oh, well, I'll get to it later on. As a fan of your book and your Christian faith, there are some pretty clear detours you make when you talk about your faith. Maybe to help others get to the center of the gospel rather than to be stalled by other things which might get in their way. I think 
this is a softball, but I'll ask it anyway. One of the most ancient creeds of the church is the simple, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Do you believe that Christ will come again? If so, how does that affect the way you live every day? If not, why not? All right, that's the first question. Keep these in mind. You might want to take notes. From Evan. I'm a Christian, specifically Catholic, who has a great love of God and a passion for theology. However, in the past few years, my passion for politics has usurped my faith. I know my priorities are now in the wrong order, but I'm unsure how to rectify them. Any suggestions? Okay, two good questions, excellent questions. First, on whether I believe that Christ will come again and how does it affect my life? The answer to the first part is yes, absolutely. I absolutely do. I, that is, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, is what I believe. That is exactly what I believe. However, there are certain things we know about this from the Gospels. We know that we don't know when this is going to happen. We know that it can happen at any moment. We know that he comes like a thief in the night, and we know that we have to always be prepared. There is something else that that describes. There is another thing that that describes, and that's death. We know that death is going to come. We don't know when it's going to come. We know it can happen at any time. We know it can take us by surprise. We know we should be prepared. So when you ask me how it affects my life, the effect is the same in both cases, that my time is limited, and I don't know how, by how much. And it gets, it gets presumably more and more limited every day. And so whatever it is I'm going to do, whatever it is I think I'm going, I should be doing, Whatever it is I think my Christian faith means, I should be doing it now, every minute, every second, to the best of my ability. So I, I always, I always wor worry about these people who get obsessed with the end of days. For you, the end of days is coming. You may not be in the generation of the apocalypse, but the end of days is coming, and your time is limited and life matters. So I, that's why I don't see what the obsession is about. It's part of my hope. My hope is that the, this day will come, but if it comes after my death or before my death, my hope remains the same. That My hope in that, in that resurrection remains the, the exact same. What is certain is that my life is limited. That is what's certain, and that is what has the effect on my life. So this brings me to the second question of someone who, has a, who loves Christianity and loves theology but finds that his obsession with politics is getting in his way. And this is why I want to mention, I don't mean this totally as a plug, though there's nothing wrong with plugging the book. I, this is kind of what my book, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ, why the book seems to me to speak to people. Because when I look back on my life, it's a memoir of why I came to believe. And why, when I look back on my life, obviously many things, and I talk about these in the book, many things about myself were weaknesses and things I did wrong and ways I went astray, ways I went insane, literally insane. But, but, there was, I did have one character trait that I did nothing to earn, it was just given to me, that was a strength, and that is this. I had an insistence that I believe what I believe. Now, when I say, let me explain what I mean by that. I have a friend who's a nihilist, right? He believes that the world is meaningless, that there's no morality, that heroism is a scam, that fidelity doesn't matter. That's not the life he lives. He lives a life of fidelity, he's, a, he's courageous, he's uh, decent, he's charitable, he's responsible, he's all these things. His, his philosophy of nihilism makes him miserable. It, make, it makes him look in the world in this very, very dark way. And all his joy comes from the way that he actually lives, the way he behaves. And I remember saying to him once, why don't you just believe what you obviously believe? You know, you have these theories that are making you miserable, but you know your life is showing you. I mean, theories are great, and I'm not trying to be anti-intellectual, but you have to test your theories. That's what science is. Science is testing your theories against the real world. And religious science, if I can use that theology, is testing your theories against your life, is testing what you believe against your life. So 
I often find this. I find this obviously in relativists, people who say there's no such thing as morality. Like, do they live like that? Of course they don't. Not unless they're serial killers, you know? I mean, otherwise, you'd be a psychopath if you lived like that. So why pretend it's true? Why pretend you think it's true? So I have this problem with some Christians, okay? We believe, in theory, right, that the creator of the universe, which, let's face it, is like a top spot, right? It's a big, big position. That's a big job. That's like a, a big creator of the universe, big job, right? As Donald Trump would say, big thing, you know? We believe that he manifested himself, incarnated himself in human form and suffered and died on earth for us. It must have been, there must have been something important he had to say, right? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, you go to church and they tell you to be nice. I don't think that happened to tell you to be nice. I think we could have figured out be nice, you know? I don't think it happened to tell you not to cheat on your wife. I don't think you should cheat on your wife, but I don't think that that's why the creator of heaven and earth died, you know, died when, and suffered in the, in the way he did when he didn't have to do that and when he was so far above those things. I think it must have been urgently important. And so when I believe it, I believe that it has a major, major effect. And let me, let me see if I can get it a little bit of what it is. I don't think it's to tell you not to have sex, you know? I, I really don't. Somebody wrote to me the other day and said, well, what about Christ's admonition not to lust? He doesn't say not to lust. He says, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery, which means you're an adulterer because everybody lusts in his heart. He says, if you're angry, you're a murderer because that makes you a murderer. What he's telling you is you can't be good. That is what he's telling you. He's not telling you, don't do this, don't do that. He's telling you, you can't live up to those standards. So he, there must be something else you're supposed to do, something that nobody thought of before that now he wants you to do. And what I think, what I think, to put it simply, put a complicated thing simply, is he wants you to live into your spirit. He wants you to live into who you know you really are instead of who your body is telling you you are. Your body is telling you you're an animal, that you, you know, just want to, like, have sex and reproduce and die, and that's it, that life means nothing. Your body is telling you those things because that's true for your body, but it's not true for you, and he wants you to live into that. And politics is constantly dragging you back to the level of your body. Politics is constantly making things black and white when they're not. It's constantly moving you. You know, the, the Bible tells you what it looks like to live into your spirit. It looks like forgiveness. It looks like love. It looks like, it looks like turning your, instead of pointing your finger at the guy next to you, it looks like pointing your finger at yourself and examining yourself and self-awareness and self-knowledge. It looks like a lot of things that you can find out. Read the book. You know, <laughs> I mean, read the book. It's all in the book. It tells you what it's like to live into your spirit if you can. You know, to just try. You're obviously not, you're going to fail because if you lust, you've committed adultery. If you're angry, you've committed murder. So you're going to fail, but you live into that spirit and you live as if that spirit were your real life and your body's life is not, is not your real life. Politics drags you down from that. And if you get into, if you start paying attention to politics, and I pay a lot of attention to politics and start to feel that you should be angry. You should be blaming the people who disagree with you. You should be hating the people who disagree with you. You should be hating anybody who stands for this. If you start to believe like, oh my God, it's all over. The reason I started by playing that video today, that video of, uh, of, uh, of fighting for America, is the fight is the thing. The fight is the thing you're supposed to be doing. And if you can't do that joyfully, then you don't understand the game. You don't understand who you really are, who you really are. You are not, the, you are not something that can be put in prison. They can't put you in prison. They can't kill you. They can't do anything to you. Your life is guaranteed. And if you believe that, if you're a Catholic, then you do believe that. And if you're a Christian of any sort, you should believe that. They, have not, they, have, they can't do anything to you but what they've done to people through all time 
and the, yet the truth survives and you survive and the people who tell the truth survive. So that's what I have to say. It's mental discipline. You ask how you can do that, how you can uh, get your priorities right. Mental discipline. You should wake up every morning and remind yourself of who you really are. All right, I'm going to go a little bit uh, over, right? We don't mind. Okay. Uh, Darth Clavin, that is also my, uh, that is also a title of it. Not many people know it. Jake, Darth Clavin, last week you mentioned that only two revolutions in history have succeeded the American Revolution, the English Civil War. Can you explain why these revolutions worked while every other one was a total disaster? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this because I was kind of speaking in shorthand and the English Civil War did leave to, did lead to Cromwell's tyranny under the Republic. What I was thinking of as I was speaking very quickly is that afterwards, instead of England becoming a tyranny for a long period of time instead of this massive amount of bloodshed. Afterwards, they had the Glorious Revolution, which really brought them into the modern world where they had a king, but the king was responsible to parliament and there was the revolution came off without a shot. And they kind of, the Civil War kind of taught them how to, how to be free into, in the modern world. And so that's what I was thinking of. And maybe it's because the American Revolution and the English Civil War were both civil wars and not revolutions. Maybe that's the, the big difference. Part of it, the English are magic. English have a lot of flaws as a culture, as a people, like we all have a lot of flaws as a culture or people, but there's something about them that, at least until now, has always found a way back to freedom in ways that other nations and other cultures simply don't. It has never let it slip away. After the French Revolution, they cracked down on people. They did things that I think were appalling. Uh, their poets, all, you know, all their great poets who lived in that era, so many of them had to leave the country to get away from them. Um, you know, and yet they always find their way, they have always found their way to, back to more freedom, which is kind of the opposite of what most countries do. But it may just be that both the English Civil War and the American Revolution were, in fact, civil wars and not revolutions. Revolutions tend to enslave people. From, I'll answer two questions really quickly. Jeroen says, Supreme High King, Almighty Overlord Clavin. This is great. This is, you know, do we put out an ad or something <laughs> telling people how to properly address me? What are your thoughts on the show The Walking Dead? Why do you or why do you not watch the show? Everybody here watches it but me. And the reason I don't watch it is I watched the first episode. I thought it was really, really good. But it included a person who'd been half eaten away chasing another person across the grass. And I said to myself, you know, I watch television the last thing before I go to bed at night, and I go to bed really late, I thought, ah, that's not what I want in my head when I hit the sack. You know, it's like half-eaten skull person crashing. It was, a little, it was just too ugly for me to be really, it's physically ugly uh, for me to really uh, get involved in it and watch it with enthusiasm. So I haven't, I hear it's, is it still good? It's brutal. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm not, you know, you can't watch everything. And so I made, I made my call. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not for me. One last. David, what do you think of, David says, what do you think of Evan uh, McMullen, or as uh, Shapiro calls him, Egg McMullen, or, <laughs> or Ev McMuffin, and his plan to stop both candidates from getting to the needed majority? Uh, I love it. It'll never work, but I love it. He wants to win Utah, and then Trump has to win every state, and then it's thrown to the House of Representatives, and Ryan gets to pick it. I love it. I think it's the greatest plan ever. Never work. But, <laughs> but it amuses me, and that's the important thing. Halloween stuff I like. Uh, oh, this is my favorite thing ever. When I lived in England, when I lived in England, uh, I, I, Christmas Eve, right? I said I stay up late. Everyone goes to bed. I pour myself a drink. I sit in front of the TV. You know, I don't even know what's going on. I've just moved to this new country. I'm kind of just going through. And this show comes on, A Ghost Story for Christmas. And I thought, 
I've died and gone to heaven. You know, I'm sitting here up alone with a scotch watching a ghost story on Christmas Eve as midnight strikes, you know. I thought this is the best thing ever. And this show was great. It was mostly, not all of it, but it was mostly based on the uh, the works of M.R. James, who was my favorite ghost story writer, ghost story uh, wrote ghost stories right at the turn of the century, around the nineteen, around nineteen hundred, basically. Um, terrific, terrific writer. And so it, it has him. It has Dickens. You can get them on DVD. And you, I think that when I ordered them, you had to have a DVD player that played British DVDs. So that, that's one thing. But you can also watch them on YouTube. I think they're there for free. However. The, the first, most of them are in color, and most of them were directed by one guy, but they were inspired. They, they, they were, the series was inspired by an M.R. James story called Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad, which was made for an, another show called Omnibus. And it was made, directed by Jonathan Miller, the great Jonathan Miller, who's one of their great directors, and you know, kind of, he's kind of one of those uh, Renaissance men. And it starred Michael Hordern as an intellectual who goes on a journey looking for uh, archaeological history. He's a professor, and he's looking for archaeological history, and suddenly he realizes that he may have unleashed an ancient curse. And this, I love this scene because he's in, he's in this uh, boarding house, this uh, bed and breakfast, and somebody, uh, and he's just a complete alienated intellectual who can't make conversation, can't relate to other people, and someone asks him if he believes in ghosts, and he's already being haunted. And this is how Hordern, one of the great British actors, responds to the question. Do you believe in ghosts, Professor? Ghosts? <laughs> That's rather a sticky one, isn't it? I'm not quite certain what you mean. I mean, I'm never quite certain what I mean, invited to believe when anybody asks me a question like that. I'm not even quite certain what I'm being invited to disbelieve when it comes to that. We're quite with you, old chap. No, well, well I mean... You ask me, do I believe in, say, Australia? Well, now I know perfectly well what the sort of thing I'm being asked to judge. I mean, we all agree what we mean by Australia. <laughs> large continent, southern hemisphere, discovered by Captain Cook. Four or five large cities, kangaroos, and so on and so on. And given that, given that, one can perfectly well imagine the sort of procedure that one might put in hand to confirm, or on the other hand, to disconfirm. Its existence been quite the same thing with ghosts, you see? I mean, there's no broad consensus about what a ghost is, is there? You owe me a bit of a time on that one. Let's think now. Ghosts. Uh, the spirits of the dead. <laughs> <laughs> this guy just goes off into this intellectual... And that's what I was talking about before, about believing what you believe. The guy's already being haunted. He's being haunted, but he's got this little... Uh, this theories, you know, just don't include... They don't include ghosts, because what's going to say? What is a ghost? What is this, Australia? It's the spirits of the dead. And one of the great things about choosing Michael Horton for that is because his most famous role was as Marley's ghost in the great uh, Christmas carol with uh, Alistair Sim. We have just a small cut of that. Who are you? Ask me who I was. All right, all right, who were you then? In life, I was your partner. Jacob Marley. 
So he can't even say whether he believes in ghosts. And he is a ghost, you know. <laughs> All right. All right. It was, uh, I love doing the mailbag. We'll do it again next week. If you subscribe, you too could be there. Your problems too could all be solved and be set free. It's, it's amazing. We'll see you again tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show.